crux of it. The show that discusses RIPA, so robotic industrial process automation and everything about it. So quick, you know, a description for everybody on what robotic industrial process automation is. It's what we term automating control room operator activities. So specifically right now we're targeting, um, you know, we're working with oil and gas. So I'm your host, Vicki Knott, and this is my co-host, Rebecca Greenan. And today we're going to talk about venture capitalism with our lovely investors at Prex OCM. So Kane, Gil, and Eric. We're going to discuss the ins and outs of investing in a RIPA startup and offer listeners a special insight at the end. So be sure to wait through for all of the details. So right now, we'll just kick it off with um, intros from Kane, Eric, and Gil on what is interesting to them about uh, the RIPA space, you know, heavy industrial automation in control rooms, you know, and where we're starting out, which is in oil and gas. So Kane, did you want to kick it off with a, with a bit of a background first? Yeah, um, so very excited to be here. Thank, thanks for hosting us. Um, my name is Kane. Uh, I'm a partner at a venture capital firm called Root Ventures. Uh, we invest in a lot of industrial automation companies. Um, and uh, funnily enough, my background is actually network engineering. So like industrial routers, network switches, et cetera. Um, and, and the reason this is interesting to me, uh, or rather Crux is interesting to me, is because... Um, we're really good at network optimizations, right? Like as a class of technologies and techniques, we, we, we're, we're very clever. I mean, that's what's really powered the modern internet. Um, and the thing about industrial processes and including uh, what Crux works with is if you can properly instrument and control every step of the process, you can then apply all these very clever networking techniques to optimize output or profit um, or, or whatever it is that's important to the customer. Um, and so I really see companies like Crux as uh, opportunities to, to just add a whole new bag of optimization techniques to these industries. And so, so that's why I'm here. Eric, did you want to give us a bit of background on yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, glad to be here. I'm Eric Wiesen. I'm a partner at, a, at Bullpen Capital in San Francisco. And, you know, we've worked with uh, a handful of companies in this sort of general universe, the industrial universe, and also the sort of broader RPA universe. And so, you know, robotic process automation is slowly transforming industries one by one by one. And it's added a tremendous amount of value to the underlying players in each of those spaces. So when we saw, you know, a management team in Vicky and Roger who came into the door and said, hey, listen, we, we come from oil and gas. We understand this industry. We understand the cultural norms and ways in which these companies operate, we can solve a lot of problems for them by deploying an RPA schema. That got very, very exciting to us because we've seen tremendous value created both by the software companies and their underlying customer base in sort of applying these more modern techniques. So for, for us, right, it was, an, it was an opportunity to look at a sector that can benefit enormously from RPA. Um, and obviously this is our RIPA uh, variant that's being created here at Crux. So very excited to be here. And Gil, a little bit on your background. Hey, Vicky. So I'm Gil. I'm with a fund called Angular Ventures uh, based in London. Which thanks for thanks for having me on, Vicky. This is probably my only chance in my life to get on an oil and gas-focused podcast. So um, I, I think Kane and, and Eric covered, you know, I think most of the reasons why we were excited when we started to understand what you were working on, um, you know, the space and the enormous opportunities for efficiency um, and the founding team. Um, I think one of the things that, that I can add to that um, is that you guys were were focused? I, I think Eric said this, but the, the tremendous amount of domain expertise that you and Roger brought to the table, 
in a space where that's essential because it's hard and it's different from other spaces. You know, the, the insight is the same, but the implementation in, in heavy industry is completely different. The protocols are different. The tooling is different. The way software has been bought, deployed, used, tested, analyzed, it's all different from other areas. So there was a tremendous amount of heavy lifting that you guys had already done in terms of how do you get this in the hands of customers. Um, and that relied on domain expertise that, that you and Roger had extensively. You'd worked in the control rooms, right? So that's always very appealing. When you see someone who comes from an industry say, hey, I love this industry and I know how to make it better. That's very, very appealing. Um, and the second thing was that, uh, you know, you and Roger were intrinsically like just in natively, uh, I don't know what the word is. You were naturally interested in not only building this so that it would be awesome and would help your customers, but that it would be easy for them to deploy. And one of the things that is so interesting to me as I watch Crux growing is that your customers are sort of consistently surprised by how easy this is. They expect this to be years of work and struggle, and you can get this up and running actually crazy quickly because of the way you've built it. But, but crazy quickly by industrial by standards, standards, but still yeah. crazy quickly, right? Um, and so I I like that because if you looked at if you look at Crux's sales cycles compared to Slack or Dropbox, they're pretty long. But if you look at Crux's sales cycle compared to other solutions in this kind of in this kind of industry that deliver similar value props, you're a fraction of the time. Yeah, like a new SCADA solution is like 10 years. Exactly. <laughs> so I, all of those things together, but principally what Kane and Eric said, which is size the opportunity in the team. Interesting to like our oil and gas listeners specifically in Canada is like, none of you folks are Canadian. So like <laughs> a little bit more on your, like your, your, I guess, you know, how did you get into VC and, and, you know, how did you come to find this, you know, Canadian company working on, uh, working, working in control rooms? Well, I, I'm going to claim some uh, uh, cultural cred here, having grown up in Buffalo, New York, which is functionally Canadian. It is. You have um, a Tim Hortons. I've seen it. You've sent me pictures. That's true. Tim Hortons, <laughs> drank a lot of Labatt, uh, watched a lot of hockey. So, so, uh, But that's not why I messed it in Crux. The, the reason, <laughs> look, for us, it's, it's not a, frankly, we were just looking for the best opportunity in the space. Um, and Crux was the best opportunity in the space. Right now, I think there were a few places where a company like Crux could have naturally arisen from, uh, Calgary being one of them. Um, cool. So the reason actually, uh, specifically how I found it was uh, we had worked with Gil in the past and Gil, I'm sure has a more interesting story here, but Gil messaged us knowing our focus on industrial automation and said, hey, I found this awesome team there in Calgary. Like what do you do a Canadian company? Like, do you want to look at it? And the rest is and history. We are your first Canadian company, as far correct? Right? Yes, and now we have uh, uh, now we have two, maybe three soon. So Sweet. again, like we're agnostic as long as the, it's the best team working on the best opportunity. Like the geography is relevant to us. Cool. Anyone have anything to add to that? Yeah, Bill? I mean, just uh, so as Kane uh, said, I, I had I identified you. It's a very international story. I mean, I'm American. I live in London. We invest across Europe and Israel primarily. I was in Berlin. Um, a German VC friend of mine said, oh, there's this amazing company up in Norway that you should meet with. And then I did a call with you, I think later that week, and you showed up with, with your, what I thought was an American accent. Sorry. Um, and then you're like, oh, I'm based in Calgary. And like, what's the Norway thing? Like, yeah, we had some early, early stuff in Norway. We were camped out there for a while. Um, and then we actually did 
the investment remotely pre-COVID. So because just the distances and the time, time scale. Um, and our, our fund, as I said, is not really intended. We don't really invest in North America. We have a lot of European Israeli companies that end up in North America, but we knew the space also could be to invest in a bunch of Israelis that were also selling a different type of, of software for the oil and gas industry. They're, they're based in Houston now. So it was just, we had a prepared mind for it. Um, and the other funny anecdote is that one of the ways I did diligence on this is that my wife's dad happens to be one of the leading refinery optimizers on the planet. And he was like, this is insanely good. Um, I don't know much about APC, but this is really, really solid. And so that kind of led me down the path. I remember that so, call. That, that call was funny. It was like, do you want to have a call with my father-in-law this afternoon? I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> he knows He knows his stuff, right? So like that was... <laughs> Um, and then he helped me find the right APC expert. And the funny thing is the APC expert, I, I told him about it and I was like, and he was immediately like, no, this is never going to work. And I was like, could you just meet her? And so he did a call with you and he's like, yep, it's going to work. It's really good. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, Eric, did, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add about, uh, yeah, how you came to, to hang out with a company in, in Calgary? And I guess we spent a lot of time in Houston as well. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, this is a archetype of how the venture capital business works. Right. So I, I've known Gil since 2008 um, and I've known Kane since 2010. Um, and we've all worked together in various contexts. And so they know that the focus of our fund is companies that are generally doing things outside the sort of, you know, kind of mainline Silicon Valley areas of interest in any given time who've gotten somewhere really interesting and are on a trajectory to have a very, very high ceiling. And so when this round was coming together, I heard from each of them individually. You have to you have to meet with Vicky and Roger because this is a company that is incredibly uh, well suited to the sort of bullpen philosophy of doing things of that sort. So it was a, a pretty quick cycle time, as you can probably recall. I brought in you know my my partner Anne, who's a data scientist who could sort of understand the underlying data architecture and how these optimization protocols were actually going to work. Um, and, and once we sort of had again sort of from a different angle, but the same basic realization that Gil's describing it was actually a pretty easy decision for us that we would want to become become the newest investor. Yeah, and, and fun fact for the audience too is, you know, you say data scientist, but to our good old oil and gas folks, Anne has a PhD in fluid dynamics. So <laughs> she knew exactly what we were up to, which was- which was Yeah, awesome. when, I, when, I, when I told her what, what Crux OCM really was, she's like, you, you know, I know a lot about that, right? And I said, no, I, I know you do. That's why we're talking about this. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Rebecca, did you have an, want to jump in with any questions? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, Crux is really proud of is um, our ability to help um, tell our clients ESG story. Um, so I'm just wondering when you guys were looking at the opportunity, if our ability to help our clients with the ESG story, which is really, really important to our energy clients, did that factor into your decision at all? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in first. Uh, I mean, the answer is yes. You know, I, I think one of the things that we sort of look at, again, from our angle as equity investors in a, in a startup company like Crux, is how do the underlying budgetary dynamics on the customer side really sort of stack up? And so when you can combine a really, really clear ROI story um, with a governance and double bottom line story, you tend to get support from multiple power centers inside of a large company. And I think as you're thinking about breaking into an industry like oil and gas, like the broader energy sector, I mean, being able to solve ESG problems and sort of helping these companies make impact while at the same time having a really powerful financial impact 
that just sort of increased our, our sort of assessment of how likely it was that the product and the product suite would be widely adopted. Yeah, and you chatted to, you know, we can't say the specific names, but you chatted to a couple of our customers, and I know they had some some interesting things to say uh, to you both on, you know, one customer was really hyper-focused on the financial and other on the on the, the the safety and the governance. Yeah, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what those customers had to say. Sure. I mean, as part of our, you know, kind of due diligence process, we went into some of the current and, pro- and prospective customers and asked them of, of sort of three possibilities, right, revenue enhancement, cost savings, and kind of governance and safety, what were their priorities? And what we realized is across the sort of customer segment, first of all, all three were priorities, and it varied pretty significantly from one account to the next. So what we realized is some of the companies that that Crux is talking to and working with are very focused on increasing bottom line, while others are actually primarily focused on safety, compliance, and governance. And so we realized that there's a broad sort of broad diversity of goals and kind of primary objectives in the oil and gas space. And again, the ability to tailor the sort of offering and the deal that, that each company will have as they sort of you know adopt the product and ultimately future products, I think is a really important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So so I find that um you know frankly the ESG question is actually for me and the way I think about it, pretty easy to address when looking for the best companies because the best operations tend to be the most efficient, right? So, so you know, we work besides crux, we work with industries that use a lot of energy. Uh, the best operators, industries try to minimize their energy use because that's just more opex for them if they have to use more energy. And so, so by deploying technologies to be better at their operations. Uh, they almost consequentially um, find it easier to hit ESG goals or ESG targets. So in that sense, just like the geography thing is, when we look for the best companies here, a lot of it just naturally follows. Mm -hmm. I love to say efficiency is green. And if you're automating your processes, you're getting more efficient. Yet sometimes those two don't seem to connect that well. Yeah, Gil, anything from you on, on that one? I mean, look, I, I think Ken and Ken and Eric basically said it, but I, I think the, the the risk for 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 us, you know, we were looking at the company in an earlier stage, obviously, but I think the the fact that you help uh, in addition to the efficiency that you you help with risk management, right? In other words, the, the the risk of a catastrophic failure was so obviously reduced by this kind of a system, um, and. You know, catastrophic failures are usually caused in in this kind of you know for a, in a very sophisticated industry like airlines or like oil and gas. Catastrophic failures happen, but they happen because a bunch of well-intentioned people who are really doing their best to avoid these kind of failures are just overwhelmed by random chance or very complicated processes. Um, and what what we saw in Crux was the ability to bring a very complicated, multi-dimensional process under a, a very tight and reliable level of control, which reduces risk very meaningfully. And I, I thought that was very, very appealing. And that's, as, as, as Kane said, the most well-run companies want to run that way. They, they, they want to achieve those kind of levels of control. So it makes, makes a ton of sense. Our biggest uh, competitor, of course, is the lovely internal teams that want to, want to do this themselves. So we just got to be better and faster. Um, that's what we're working on. So, so one final question uh, for you, for you folks. Um, you know, typically, historically, um, you know, venture capital hasn't been very active investing in the energy sector. 
Um, you know, we'll probably have some listeners who are, you know, about, you know, my generation in these oil and gas companies interested in, you know, they've seen their own problems, they want to like start their own thing. Um, I guess for, for you folks, what, what has, what has that kind of transition been from, you know, venture capital staying away from these older industries like oil and gas and now starting to kind of step into it? Um, what do you think has kind of uh, started creating that interest? I'm happy to first on this. I, I think I would sort of address it by the, the two halves of that equation, right? Why hasn't it been an area for venture activity and why should it be, right? And why it hasn't, I think there's been some completely misguided ESG concerns, um, it's just not fashionable because people don't understand that, you know, these industries really are some of the biggest environmentals out there because they're moving the most energy through the system and they have to be. Um, and I think another one was sort of a basic software dynamics of these are thought of as slow moving industries that it's difficult to sell software to because they don't move as fast as other faster industries, right? I mean, the financial sector was always thought of as that's easy or they're early adopters and so on. Um, and I think, I think, first of all, both those things are just not true anymore. Uh, the ESG thing is probably never true. And the uh, slow to adopt thing is just clearly not true now, right? Um, every industry, as Mark Andreessen said, software is eating the world. That means software is eating industrial as well. And there's a next generation of people coming up through these organizations that looks around at other industries and says, we should be as efficient, if not more, as, as they are in terms of adopting new technologies and implementing them. Obviously, the scale is massive. And you're, in some sense, from an automation perspective, you're starting from a lower base. So the amount of, of lift you can get by implementing these kinds of things is just enormous. Um, and so, you know, th- I think those things are changing pretty rapidly. For us, um, specifically, we always get a kick out of looking at industries that are overlooked or or you know, much sexier than they appear at first, I would say. So, so we, we love this kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, when we met you, um, very clear that you were building for the future of this industry. I'll add one other thing, which is yeah, sure. if, we, if we go back and sort of think about the history lesson around venture capital over the last 20 years, there was a really, really big movement in the mid 2000s, early to mid 2000s, to invest in clean energy upstarts. Um, And I think a lot of internet era investors sort of looked at the energy sector as the quote unquote next internet. And and a lot of stuff that got built and got invested into, particularly on the supply side, just ended up being too early or ended ended up being on the wrong track. And so while there were some victories that took place from that era, by and large, I think the industry has kind of a bad memory of its foray into the energy sector which in some ways has almost certainly caused the venture capital zeitgeist to over-torque in the other direction and now be a little bit scared of the energy industry. Um, there are going to be some really, really big companies built in this space, and it's just a matter of having the gumption to sort of dive back in, even knowing that the prior generation took some lumps in this industry. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't have that much to add to what uh, Gil and Eric have already outlined um, in terms of why historically there hasn't been as much activity. Um, I do think it's worth noting that, that to Eric's point, this is flipping. Um, you know, interestingly, if you, if you talk to uh, data center operations and watts, right, it's all power in, like they're fundamentally constrained by how much power they can pump into data centers. So, so we are very rapidly approaching like, you know, the limit where we've kind of arbitraged out a lot of what we can with software and, and now we got to start looking at how do we how do we feed those data centers more um and, and that's a lot of energy 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think people kind of miss that point that power is energy, like some of the general population. Like Mm. I just read recently that we've ticked 100 million barrels a day in oil consumption. Like that's huge. And it's just been steadily climbing for the last like 20 years. Right. So, you know, we have to just make make everything more efficient. Um, Uh, So so there's a book called Energy and Civilization by a Canadian professor in Manitoba. Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but I believe his name is Vaclav Smil. But Energy and Civilization, um, great book, highly recommended, uh, especially if you like nonfiction. But the idea that civilization is inherently bounded by how much energy it can efficiently produce and distribute. Um, So, you know, starting from fire to draft animals to now all of our modern energy systems. Um, And so actually reading that book, uh, was it was a great way to think about um you know civilization in general and uh our use and production of energy and where those opportunities lie so another uh a canadian shout out for you oh fun we love those um cool okay well we'll we'll, we'll wrap it up i think it's been a, a fun discussion um for you know any folks who are kind of where i was i guess like three years ago you know they're in oil and gas and they're they know this huge problem that they're really trying to solve did each of you want to just go through how folks can can get a hold of you if uh, if they want to talk some some of their ideas? Sure. Um, our company website's root.vc. Uh, emails listed there. You know, I I look at the inbox, so shoot me an email. Gil <laughs> at angularventures.com. I run inbox zero, so we will get back to you. Oh wow, inbox zero, impressive. Yeah, same basic thing, of course. We're at bullpencap.com. I'm Eric at bullpencap.com and we, we read everything that's sent to us. Awesome. Great. Okay. Well, thanks everyone very much for, uh, for being on the episode. So yeah. Uh, and you know, for, for folks who are interested in um, signing up to hear more of podcasts, our goal is to get, you know, some more industry experts in, but just wanted to, to have our investors on to talk about uh, why what we're doing is so cool. Um, so yeah, so thanks everyone. If you want to subscribe, um, you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn, Rebecca as well. Um, chat soon. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thank you guys. Bye.